on today's podcast, I got adopted. With today's guest before the show, uh, we became like instant BFFs, and it was incredible. Uh, this show filled my bucket beyond belief to the point where I was like, we got to do business together. I need to be on more calls. I want to listen to you more. And today's guest has an incredible story, incredibly journey, is incredibly wise, incredibly powerful. And we talk about Brianna's journey from a cafe to an energy worker, how if you're meant for something, it's hard to get away from it. So how to get into alignment, how to find that answer the calling, how to move through pain in order to create a breakthrough, moving from competition into community and recognizing that we're all on the same team and trusting the small voice in your head that is your intuition and how to become more intuitive. And today's guest, she's incredible. She's an incredibly successful entrepreneur, business owner, coach. I mean, like everything that she said, I I resonated with and it is loaded with nuggets. And so I'm going to let it do all the magic. And without further ado, let's get into the show. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show. And to say I'm giddy, would probably be an understatement, and I am going to put myself in the Nostradamus chair for a second and think my guest might be unsure what she is into, given the first 10 minutes of this when we connected. I just talked her entire ear off because I am so excited to have her today. This is a reschedule. I was bummed the first time, but we are joined today by the incredible Brianna, and you know I don't have notes in front of me often, but I have reread her story numerous, numerous times, and I am excited to listen and take notes, but from aspiring college career to car accident that changed the entire trajectory of her life, to finding positive thinking, to healing, to then opening up, I don't even know what to call, let's just call them the best healing centers in the world, to then expanding to three locations, to then helping people step into their power, and then speaking life into the people, and everything in between, and I'm probably missing most of her entire story. And so I'm not even going to try to butcher it anymore. And so I'm just humbled and honored and incredibly excited to share space this morning with your incredible Brianna. Brianna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I am. I am beyond excited. Like I said, I was like a little excited Labrador puppy when we got on the call this morning. So I was like, oh, this is going to be a good one. And so I, um, like I said, I'm really excited. The more I've dove into your story and the notes and then, you know, my fair share of, you know, professional internet stalking, the kind of more inspired and amazed I am. But can you, for kind of everybody listening, kind of paint the picture in and however you would like of how we got to here today? Like, where did it start? What was the dream? And, and all of those pieces, because I'm excited to listen. Yeah. I mean, I feel like sometimes I feel like it's weird how far back I have to start my story, but I was, you know, planning on going to art school, which I am lo- still love art so much. I had moved from Montana where I was growing up and I was going to college and I missed my boyfriend back in Montana. Always about a boy in my <laughs> life. I don't know how that happens. And so my friend and I decided to drive back at really kind of at a late time of night um, from Washington back to Montana. And in that time, I got into a car accident and um, 
in that car accident, I broke my neck, I broke my C2, and it really just really changed the trajectory of my life. I never even got to go back to Washington. I never actually got to go to art school. And really, it just put me on a totally new path. And in that, after I broke my neck, I really, there were a few things that really happened from that. And one was that I knew I didn't want to wait to do anything. It's kind of like I could die anytime, which is kind of a miraculous thing to learn at 18. Like, cause you really, it's a time in your life where you think you're so invincible. Yeah. You're like, I could do, I'm never going to die. And to be like, oh, that's not true. And you just never know. So I got really so focused on making sure that I was living the life I wanted to live and not waiting. Mm. And the other thing that happened during that time was that I was just in a lot of pain and I couldn't take any pain medication because it all made me feel very awful. And so I went to this really incredible healer that my stepmom found for me. She was a nurse and a massage therapist, which is what I knew. And I got there and she really just couldn't even touch me. I was like, oh no, everything hurts. And so she ended up doing energy work on me. And we did three sessions of energy work. And after that, I had no more pain. I like could, I actually went back to work in my neck brace that I had to walk to work <laughs> wearing my neck brace. It was like, you know, in Montana, uphill both ways, all the stylish things, right? too. Stylish. Yes. So stylish. Helping with, helping with that boy thing, right? Like totally helping making it about a boy. <laughs> totally. Actually, nothing ever stopped me with the boys. I was a crazy. I was always a I boy love crazy. it. I love it. Um, and so, yeah, it really changed my life. And I, when that happened, I knew from that point on that I, that's really what I wanted to be doing with people. Mm. I knew I wanted to be in the healing field. I knew I wanted to be doing energy work, but of course, first I knew I wanted to go to Europe. So I went to Europe and like had a whole life there, um, moved back and really got into doing massage and energy work and Ayurvedic medicine, which then moved me into kind of a spa world. And then I decided to open my own spa, mostly because I was working at a spa and just trying to tell them what to do all the time, which apparently no one really likes (laughs) if they own their own business. Um, So I got fired from that job, which she said, if you feel like you could do it better, you should do it yourself. I was like, okay, I think I can do it better. Noted. Yeah. Will do. Um, she actually later became a client of our spa. So I, love I, like, I, I, I love that. I love that. Don't you love those moments? Yeah. yeah, I was like, this really worked out. So um, I opened my spa when I was twenty three, wow. and you know, my main goal was just to be able to like not work my second job, which was belly dancing at night. I was like, someday all I'll have to do is work ten hours a day and not actually have to belly dance at night to make money. <laughs> Um, so big dreams, right? It's the simple things times in the people, beginning. I know. It's funny because a lot of times people say like, was this always your vision? Like where I am now? I'm like, no, my vision was so much smaller because I didn't even know how to dream this big when I started. Can I, can I, I had... can I add something to that? Because I love this and I, and I think this is so relevant because for years I always struggled because people like make a vision board, right? Write down your goals, like write down your boom. But I was so much like you there was just like this one persistent thing in my life that I didn't want to do anymore or I wanted to change. And so I would use that as like the fuel and the reason. And it, in theory, it were the building blocks of a vision that I hadn't thought about yet. But 
I still to this day, like I have no problem dreaming and I have no problem thinking, but I'm still obsessed with like that bite by bite and looking at it yeah. behaviorally. And you're the first person who said it. I'm like, oh my God, you and I are so alike. I love this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel like almost embarrassed that I didn't have this big vision. I'm like, well, it's true. I really did. I've had that too. I like just wanted to be able to afford lunch and stop like eating the cranberries out of the cranberry orange tea. Yeah. Like big dreams. Yeah. Well, and like, <laughs> and, and some of like my best friends, like my, my little like inner circle right now, like two of them come to mind. Like one of them is like, I want this 80,000 square foot warehouse and a billion streams on Spotify and boom, boom, boom. And, and every day I watch him do it. And I'm like so inspired by it. And then my other buddy's like, I went and put this purple Lamborghini on the back of my phone. And then two years later, he had like three of them. But he's like, only after I donate a million dollars to charity. And like, I watch them do it. And like, it lights them up so much. And they're like, what are you doing today? I'm like, I was just trying to figure out how to buy 30 more minutes at the gym every day. <laughs> and they're like, dude, you confuse me. I'm like, I confuse me. I'm like, but it works for me. So I just do it. You're like, we're in this together. We're, this we're together. both confused yes, we, about this. Situation. We are both confused. <laughs> I love it. That's true. Oh, so good. I, I didn't mean to interject so, in the middle of your story, but I was just like, oh my God, I, I need to talk about this. So please continue. No, I love it. So from there, you know, we, I ended up like we ended up being getting pregnant with my first child and decided that I never wanted to be apart from her. And so I decided to open a cafe next door, which is like the best reason to open a business. I was like, well, cause you can't bring a baby into a spa, yep. but you can bring a baby into a cafe. Yep. So I was like, well, we'll just take this space. We'll make a cafe and I'll make an office for her. And so that's what I did. Eventually I ended up selling that cafe and opening, we opened other locations of the spa actually in the Portland airport. And then eventually we opened kind of all of our bath and body stuff that we were selling online. And my husband and I wrote books together and created courses. And then we decided to move to Boulder and open another spa. And then I loved teaching. I didn't realize how much I loved to like write and teach and help people in that way. And then I kind of got the knock from the universe, you know, as it happens. It was like, um, excuse me, you've done a very good job and you're actually meant to be an energy worker. I was like, oh, right. I kind of have forgot about that path that I was on. Uh -huh. And I, you know, I've learned, especially after the car accident and many other turns in my life where it was like, no, when we say what you're supposed to do, you're actually just supposed to follow. Yeah. And so, of course, I resisted because that's the kind of human I am. I'm like, ah, oh, but it's so good like this. I don't, uh -huh. it's nice. I don't, I liked being like the CEO uh -huh. and I loved that part, but I also really did missing with, miss working with people. Mm -hmm. And so I got back into doing energy work with people and that's kind of like then built that where I started to mentor people and doing energy work and really helping people more in their personal lives again, which has been really, really rewarding. I love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's so interesting. I, I I said to somebody on a podcast yesterday, I was like, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Always. And I was like, but I remember, I used to coach people ten years ago, and I would say to them like, hey, when you tell the universe what you want, you just can't be upset about what it looks like, right? And they had a moment. They asked me a question yesterday, and they were like, well, you know, kind of reflecting on your story, and I had that like smack in the face. And I was like, oh, that's what they mean. And I was like, you know, like thinking that my success was going to be linear, but like how I ended up back here, like there was a phase where I was like all personal development. And then I was like, I will never be a personal development coach. I will never coach people one-on-one -on -one again. I, I won't like literally. And then 
somehow like 11 months ago, one of my close friends managed to convince me to coach them and ended up paying me. And then all of a sudden I'm coaching people. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like every day, like I, I explain this to people. Somebody asked me how I think about my day and they asked me kind of in a morbid question, but I, I think it's fun as well. It's like when I wake up in the morning, I envision that I lost my business my family, my friends, and everything I had the day before, and I get to earn it back today. And so mm. it's just fun because like it allows me to be free and like, oh, I might do something different today or think about it different or speak different or sell different or yeah, I will come do that or I will launch that nonprofit. And it lets me be excited about it because I've figured out that if I take enough bites of the hints that are put in front of me, no matter what, I'm going to end up so much closer to my goal. And so I'm like working on being exciting about them because for years they scared the shit out of me because they weren't predictable, right? And they weren't certain. And it's helped me kind of fall in love with that ambiguity piece. Yeah, that makes so much sense. It kind of reminds me, it's funny, my eight-year-old recently has been asking a lot of questions about like, what if you could go to the very beginning of your life and just choose like almost the opposite in every turn and then see where you are at this time and then just get to choose either the life you lived, which life you lived, like which one would you choose? Like, wow, that's a really, that'd make a very good movie. And also just make a great movie. Yeah. She has lots of good, like a lot of her thoughts. I'm like, Ooh, this would make a good let's story. Write the, so. Let's write these down. Let's just document these yeah. in the parking lot, please. <laughs> yeah. Good idea. Yeah, totally. And so it's just been really fun because she wants to not just ask the question, but then be like, then what do you think it would be like there and there and there? And to recognize that so many of our choices kind of lead, they just lead us where we're meant to be kind of regardless. I think that, you know, we obviously are sovereign and get to make our own choices. And I also think that when we're really meant for something, I think that we can, it's very hard to get away from it actually. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. I think, I think the internal struggle for me for years, right. Is like, even to my earliest memory, right. Like even as a child growing up when like the abuse started, I always remembered like, I thinking like, I don't belong here. Right. Like, the, mm -hmm. like, I have so many memories of that and not that like I don't love my family, but I was like, there's something more because the only reason I can look at like the life I had and the reason I didn't do drugs and I didn't fight and I didn't break the law is because there was something in me that really knew I wanted to get away. Right. And I did. And so at a very early age, I had that like feeling or tasteness of like, oh, I meant for something. Right. But I'm like, where's that thought coming from? Like, that's my brain. That could be my ego. That could like and, and there was this dance of like, but how do I know? And what am I really trusting? And am I supposed to be here? Right. I have no direction. And then now, of course, you know, looking back on like when this all started 25, 30 years ago, I can see how there were all these moments where I was stuck of like not knowing and trying to predict the path. But the moment I just tried something, it always turned out positive and helped get there, but I didn't have that perspective. So I always struggled with that of like, well, if I know I'm meant to be great, right? But I don't know what that greatness is. What am I supposed to do? And like, how do I know, mm -hmm. right? And that was the purgatory that I lived in. And, and when I was in the Marine Corps, you know, I was on active duty for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And like the first six, I was like, this is my life right? Like this is my dent. I was in the cult, right? Like boom. And that's what I needed because of all the trauma as a child. 
But then I started to get dissonant with the Marine Corps and I had that like rebellious period, right? And I was like, oh, but I have sunk cost. So I'm already eight, nine years in. If I just do 20, I'll get a paycheck for the rest of my life. And then, you know, I was like, okay, I punched the clock and then I got blown up, you know, seven times and almost lost my legs. And they were like, hey, we're done with you. And they were going to medically separate me. And I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> right? Like, and so there were just all these moments and these inflection points where like I was forced into almost having to find my greatness, but I don't know if without them, I would have pursued it because I had that dissonance for so long, but I never knew what to do with it. So the only thing I poured it into was like fitness, right? Like it was, it was just like workout, 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 workout. And I just remember it, it felt so frustrating for years because I didn't know how to taste it or, or do it. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but I want your wisdom on that. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is like, I think everyone at some point, whether or not it's been squelched or not, has that feeling mm -hmm. inside of like, I am meant for something mm -hmm. and then trying to like match it with the world of like, well, what is it is I actually feel like probably like the most frustrating aspect yeah. of life. Yep. Right. And, and most people can't handle the discomfort of that. So they just shut it all the way off. Like I'm not, I can't even do this. If that's the case, I have to totally turn it off rather than allowing ourselves to be curious and kind of like fuck it up a lot. Right. We like kind of have to be in those places and be like, is this like, are you my mommy? That kind of yeah. situation. <laughs> yes. Are you my mommy? No. Okay. Are you my mom? Like it kind of is like yes. that until there is a place where you finally feel like, oh, this is the, the place where it's like everything's now flowing and I want to like devote my life to this, right? This is the place where I feel my devotion starts to bubble up and I get excited. And then that devotion, I think, is actually the main sign because I think people look to be like really great at something or like have a lot of accolades from the outside or somebody else is going to tell them or, you know, it's going to feel easy. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't think any of those things are true. Mm -hmm. I think it can be hard as hell and nobody can recognize yep. you. And you can even kind of be a little bit shit at yep. it at first. Yep. But it's the like, I am devoted to yep. this. And that is really what I think is like the thing. This is what you're for. God, I, I love that. I love that because, you know, for me, what happened was, you know, like you had your near-death experience at a relatively young age. You know, mine was 21 when I was in Somalia and I thought I knew what life and death was. And then after 13 months there, I realized I knew nothing about anything. Um, but I had that near-death experience, which changed my perspective a little bit, but it didn't change my behaviors, right? It wasn't a big enough of a catalytic point, but it did create enough of a wedge, that there was at least like a paradigm challenge that was almost like this like good guy, bad guy that was consistently there in my behaviors. Mm -hmm. But then I would have these moments, like these catalysts, like when I almost lost my legs and I spent, you know, 13 months in a wheelchair. And mm -hmm. these moments, what they did is, is they, they forced this like container on me, which was my comfort zone, which was chaos. Cause that's what I grew up in. But what it really did is it put the blinders on. I'm like, okay, well, your back's against the wall. This is your comfort zone. You know, you're not going to be there. So how many bats swings can you take? And it wasn't like, oh, let me get clear. It was, I'm going to try everything every day until I find something that sticks and I'm going to do it till it doesn't stick anymore. And it was by taking what you're saying. And then even when I was getting out of the Marine Corps, 
when I was becoming an entrepreneur, it was by accident. I didn't want to be bulimic anymore. So I was teaching myself how to cook and I was documenting it on Facebook. And then they're like, hey, you're out. And I'm like, I guess I'm going to figure out how to be a food blogger. Right. And it was just like trying things every single day. And it was different every day. And I've done a lot of work on this. And I used to look at it as a bad thing because if you look at my life it's like i have a thousand skydives i have like 11 scuba diving certifications i was like a really good golfer avid downhill mountain biker and i used to use those things to run because i didn't know how to deal with the feelings but what they gave me was all the perspective and the evidence to figure out what actually made me happy and Mm -hmm. and so now without the wound every day i'm like oh my god i'll try that i'll try that i'll try that i'll try that and everyone's like oh you're successful i'm like i swear to god it's just because I swing the bat 50 more times than everybody else every day. And I'm just willing to lose, right? And, and, and I think that that was like a big perspective for me. So for you, when you had your near-death experience, right, that was a big perspective shift for you. And, and I'm imagining the recovery. You were probably in the hospital for a while, you know, a lot of forced perspective and, and stillness and reflection, right? And you very early on found that. Have you found that that experience has has been like a deep enough of an anchor that has always kind of kept you rooted or have you, you know, kind of lost your way and had some other catalytic moments happen? Well, I would definitely say that there have been many yeah. moments that where it's like, you know, it kind of like you get re-anchored mm-hmm. almost. But I do feel like that part of me that was like, I'm always going to basically go for it. Right. That's like kind of what you're saying too. Like I just try, just going to go for it. I'm not going to be afraid because of that. That actually has never changed. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was like enough of an anchor of like my mortality. Mm -hmm. It also helped that my mom was like owned hospices and my sister now owns hospices. So death has always been around me. It wasn't just like this one singular event. It's just that that event probably like kind of grabbed all those other things and kind of made it an escalated experience for me. Mm -hmm. And so having been around lots of dying people, then almost dying, I just realized like, I don't, yeah, I want to always be going for it. And it just, that fear of failing wasn't, never seemed that big of a deal because I just knew that I was, you know, going to die. Like, that's like, you're going to die. You might as well have some fun in the meantime. I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know why, but it just hit me. And I've never asked this, but I, I have a lot of questions around what you just shared. And do you feel in your experience, like there's a correlation between the healthiness of somebody's relationship with mortality compared to the amount of success that they have? I think that I would say at least compared to the amount of life that they have. Okay. And so it depends on how you're Yeah, that's a way better like, way to reframe that. Yeah, cuz I don't know how you, we define success. Life is life would life would be better, yeah. Yeah. And I think they're almost directly correlated because they are not opposites, right? We tend to think of death as the opposite of life, but actually it's just part it's actually like a whole cycle. Like we can't have life without death and we can't have death without life. Like they're, they're inseparable mm-hmm. things. And so when we're saying no to death, like, I don't want that. I can't have that. I'm like against this. I, it's like not for me, right? When we have that against that, then we also have that same amount of resistance to life. Mm-hmm. And so our resistance to death is, equates the same resistance to life. And when we remove that resistance to death, we remove that resistance to life. And then we actually get to fully live. Yeah. Wow. 
the amount of wisdom and knowledge to the undertone of like every problem I had in my life summarized in one, you know, 42 second chunk is right there. <laughs> it's right there. And it's like, you know, now in doing this, and I'm sure you're the same way. It's like everything I hear, I can like relegate to something a coach or a teacher or somebody said to me, right? And that one's like, there are human beings think they can compartmentalize, but there are no compartments. How you are in one area is how you are everywhere. And I'm like, if I'm resistant to death and I'm trying to be abundant and positive in my workflow and in my life, like I can't be, there's, there's a block that's happening there. And so my question to you is like, I, I think for me, I have a more healthy relationship with mortality than, than unhealthy in comparison when, when I was in the thrux of like my PTSD and, and navigating all those from the death and, and the stuff like that. It was, it was very much like morbid. And I'd say I'm like, I'd say I'm like 70 to 90 percent positive right but it took me a long time to get there and i know you do a lot of energy work and and i and i'm gonna i'm gonna venture to say that you know habits and rituals and practices are probably a core foundation of this work but do you have any tips or practices or ideas for people where they can start to develop a healthy relationship with mortality and death to then get clear on like kind of how to live yeah I mean, I think that for me, the more I spend time connecting Mm. to the universe, to like what's beyond this, the easier it gets to feel like this is so like just a little flip on the map, right? And so to when we can get real perspective, which I think happens like through ceremony, through ritual, really like this deep connective time where that's actually our intention. Our intention isn't just to quiet our minds, which I do think that meditation in that way is super important, but also there's a whole other realm of meditation that is about connecting and actually understanding kind of the exponential growth and like everything that the universe is. And the more we can connect to that, I feel like the easier it is to recognize how time and space and this is all just, you know, it's just kind of meaningless. And also we get to then choose the meaning, you know, I think that you can get to a place of like, well, then my life is meaningless. Like, yeah, true. And also it's also meaningful because you make it that way, but then you make it that way through ritual, through choice, through consciousness. And then when you recognize that ritual choice and consciousness are what actually navigate how your life ends up being, then you start to put emphasis on those things. And that's actually where all the richness in life lies. So it doesn't just lead to like, you know, it might be more successful. It's like, you know, you're just going to have actually a richer life too, the more you do this. But I also think that actually thinking about your death, I think is something, it's a good place to start. Like you are going to die. I think is one of the most interesting conversations I hear from people Mm -hmm. so often is if my parents die or if my partner dies or if my children die. And I'm like, that is the weirdest start to that sentence I can imagine because we are all going to die. You're definitely dying. And even my kids are like, I don't want you to die. I'm like, yeah, of course you don't want me to die. Mm -hmm. That it would be weird if you did. And (laughs) I am going to die. Right. That's such a good way to say that. (laughs) It's so fun because my son's six, right? And when he was four, he went through that phase, right? When he started to really understand connection and 
you know, time and, and he experienced death with our service dog, Leilani, our pity. Right. And then it, it went through that and having those conversations about that, I think is, is so powerful. What you just said, um, I'm going to rewind and listen because it was like just beauty synthesized in, in such a powerful way. And when you talk about really, so first part is number one, acknowledging that you're going to die 1000% spot on. I, I will share a couple of exercises that I've done in either NLP, personal development or my events. And, and, and in some way, shape or form, every positive teaching that I've ever had in my life has used a similar exercise. And um, one of them is I actually had to write my own eulogy. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that was a very powerful one. Uh, a second one is I had to actually design my headstone, uh, what would be on it, and try to synthesize my entire life in like a statement. And I, I, I never forget, I did an entrepreneurial event for all millionaires. And we started the entire event by having them write their headstones. And that event was like catalytic for people, like cat- catalytic for people. It was, it was beautiful. Um, and so with that, you know, one of the things that you alluded to is, is, you know, spending time connecting to something greater. And I'm just going to put myself on blast here. And for years I would hear that. Right. And I would have all these tools in the toolbox in front of me. And then I'm like, yeah, but how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I do it? Right. And then you just said you just recognize that habits and rituals are the, the practice in which creates this meaning. And, and I think for years, I didn't have integrity with what I was doing. Just like you say, if my parents die, you know, when my parents die, I never realized that when I wasn't taking action, I was slowly dying. Right. Like I was just being stagnant and not really doing anything. And I was just constantly in this like rumination and stagnation loop of like, oh, I can't meditate because I don't have an hour a day. Or what do you mean if I just lay down on the floor and breathe, I'm going to connect to my feelings, right? And it just, the the step was so simple in practicality, right? I'm like, oh, I can breathe for five minutes, but it felt monumental based on the situation and the experience that I was having. And so what are some of your like best practices or tips to even get into ritual, to start to explore that, you know, because for me, I now recognize that one of the reasons I didn't is because I didn't know how to sit with the feelings I was having. I didn't know how to express them. I didn't know how to, because they would represent as anger, right? Right. And then I was like, oh, nope, nope. I'm go, I'm going to the gym, right? I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to go drive my car, right? So I would kind of love to hear your thoughts around that because I'm, I'm taking notes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that one thing is like turning towards pain, right? It's like when we often stop ourselves because we're so afraid of being, and I used to say discomfort and I, and I'd be like, if it's painful, maybe stop it. And now I'm kind of like, Meh, it's pain. I don't know. It's pain. It's pain. It's sometimes it's like, if you're lucky, it's just on discomfort, but a lot of times it actually feels like pain mm-hmm. and it's about really learning to go towards pain. Like, actually, I'm going to go towards, like, even just, even if it doesn't even bring up a lot of emotions, just being, like, in quiet, connected space and actually saying, like, I'm removing, I'm removing all this excess. And then that's, like, I'm trying to focus my mind. It's painful to try to focus your awareness like that. There's no doubt about it that (laughs) that is painful. And most people are so averse to pain Mm -hmm. that they're like, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go back to be comfortable. 
I'm going to go for you. It's like going to the gym, you know, so for some people it's like get in my cozy blanket yep. and like eat Cheetos, whatever it Netflix is, the, thing that feels like, the comfort. Right. And so I do believe that there's this, this actual thing to develop in yourself, which is like, go towards the pain yep. and do it again and again and again. And this is the part that like, none of my students really like that. They're like, okay, but you know, how do I get to be like you? And I'm like, just keep doing yep. it. It's like, you've, d- you've done this like what, 20 times yep. now do it that just keep doing yep. it. Never stop because there isn't like a time where it's like going to be like, and now you're done. Quit connecting to the universe mm-hmm. and you're going to be in and like quit your rituals, quit your ceremonies and just, you know, Netflix and chill yep. from here on out. It's like, actually, this is, this is the new program. Yep that you're going to be in you, this is forever. And the more you do it, the more you awaken to it. And the more you connect, the more you connect. And, you know, of course I think breath work is a really great way to do that. I think honestly, having a teacher that can help you, I don't, I mean, I, I often am trying to help people get to it on their own. But the fact is, is that my students that I work with one-on-one, we just get there faster because I can hold them there. It's like, I create the energetic space. I bring you in. I create the ceremony. You come in and I hold you there. And you you are uncomfortable, but you're not going anywhere because you're with me. And I'm like, nope, stay here, stay here, stay here. We're we're actually doing this now. And then also I think, actually doing energy work, which I think is an interesting thing because, you know, I, I actually started my, my spiritual journey when I was like 12 reading the Tao of Pooh. And like, I love to talk about, you know, the spiritual approaches to things. And I think it's interesting that so much of the time, one of the huge things that's left out is like working with the intangible world to actually shift things so that you can connect more. Mm. And I think it's a really important thing for us to recognize is possible and that you may have blocks that you can't get to because you can't see them because you're in there. Yep. Right? Yep. It's yep. like you know, working with somebody who can help you remove the energetic blocks to, you know, whatever it is. I mean, a lot of people is like, I want you to remove my energetic blocks to abundance. But sometimes people are like, I want to connect more. And then I, that's one of the most exciting to me. Yeah. I want to, I want to, summarize a thing you said and lean into another thing you said because this is so beautiful because you know um in hearing you speak it's it's so refreshing break check let me take a moment to interrupt myself i don't run ads on my own podcast but sometimes i forget that i can tell you about things on my own show so i'm interrupting for a very important announcement which is the lighthouse business accelerator because it is event time And as a fellow entrepreneur and business owner, you know how important it is to attend live events, especially ours, with the world's most intense Rock, Paper, Scissors Championship with the best prizes. But that's why I'm thrilled to invite you to our event that will transform your business and catapult your personal growth as a leader in industry. And if you do not believe me, I swear to God, just go to mindofgeorge.com slash event. I will not tell you. The people on the page will tell you. Their videos will tell you. But the event is getting ready to happen November 16th through 19th in Whitefish, Montana, my beautiful home at the Grouse Mountain Lodge. We have a new event location. So down and dirty. It is a three-day event with an optional four, and everybody takes the fourth. They're just limited spots, but you'll find out more about those. Who's going to be speaking? Luckily for you, the best 
my dear friend Mo Ismail and my myself will be co-curating. He'll be speaking, and he is literally the best in the world at short form content. It is mind blowing when he speaks. Everybody writes notes and listens. My dear friend John Wellborn, who is just a wealth of walking wisdom and knowledge. He was a NFL player for ten years. He studied stoicism. He has degrees in rhetoric and from all these different places. And I learned so much. And then I have a special surprise up my sleeve, but I'll keep that with you there. So at our event, it's all about community. It's all about relationships. And our goal isn't just for you to walk away with clarity, which you will, mastery and understanding of customer journey, which you will, but also feeling recharged and on fire, ready to go into the world, knowing you have community and support. And so whether you're just starting out, totally fine. We have about half the room of that. Running a seven-figure business, totally fine. We have you. Eight-figure business, we got you. And we have had billionaires in the room. And we focus on principles and communities. And everybody learns from each other. Everybody benefits from each other. And everybody wins. And so I can't wait for you to be one of the 75 entrepreneurs in the room in that next experience with your bucket full. So I'm going to let you get back to the content but I'm going to tell you, I cannot wait to hug you and high five you in Montana. So come be ready to be with 75 entrepreneurs that are all hungry for growth and networking and supporting. And of course, the world's most competitive rock, paper, scissors championship. So I'm going to let you get back to the content. But irregardless, right now, it's time to go to mindofgeorge.com event. Check it out. And we will see you November 16th through 19th in Whitefish, Montana. I'm going to rewind and listen because it was like just beauty synthesized in, in such a powerful way. And when you talk about really, so first part is number one, acknowledging that you're going to die 1000% spot on. I, I will share a couple of exercises that I've done in either NLP, personal development or my events. And, and, and in some way, shape or form, every positive teaching that I've ever had in my life has used a similar exercise. And um, one of them is I actually had to write my own eulogy. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a very powerful one. Uh, A second one is I had to actually design my headstone, uh, what would be on it and try to synthesize my entire life and like a statement. And I, I never forget, I did an entrepreneurial event for all millionaires. And we started the entire event by having them write their headstones and that event was like catalytic for people, like cat- catalytic for people. It was it was beautiful, um, and so with that, you know, one of the things that you alluded to is is you know spending time connecting to something greater. And I'm just gonna put myself on blast here. And for years, I would hear that right, and I would have all these tools in the toolbox in front of me, and then I'm like, yeah, but how do I do it? How do I do it? How do I do it? Right. And then you just said you just recognize that habits and rituals are the the practice in which creates this meaning. And and I think for years I didn't have integrity with what I was doing, just like you say, if my parents die, you know, when my parents die, I never realized that when I wasn't taking action, I was slowly dying. Right. Like I was just being stagnant and not really doing anything. And I was just constantly in this like rumination and stagnation loop of like, oh, I can't meditate because I don't have an hour a day. Or what do you mean if I just lay down on the floor and breathe, I'm going to connect to my feelings, right? And it just, the the step was so simple in practicality, right? I'm like, oh, I can breathe for five minutes, but it felt monumental based on the situation and the experience that I was having. 
And so what are some of your like best practices or tips to even get into ritual, to start to explore that? You know, because for me, I now recognize that one of the reasons I didn't is because I didn't know how to sit with the feelings I was having. I didn't know how to express them. I didn't know how to, because they would represent as anger, right? Right. And then I was like, oh, nope, nope. I'm go. I'm going to the gym, right? I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to go drive my car, right? So I would kind of love to hear your thoughts around that because I'm, I'm taking notes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that one thing is like turning towards pain, right? It's like when we often stop ourselves because we're so afraid of being, and I used to say discomfort and I, and I'd be like, if it's painful, maybe stop it. Now I'm kind of like, Meh, it's pain. I don't know. It's pain. It's pain. It's sometimes it's like, if you're lucky, it's just on discomfort, but a lot of times it actually feels like pain. Mm -hmm. And it's about really learning to go towards pain. Like, actually, I'm going to go towards, like, even just, even if it doesn't even bring up a lot of emotions, just being like in quiet, connected space and actually saying like, I'm removing, I'm removing all this excess. And then that's like, I'm trying to focus my mind. It's painful to try to focus your awareness like that. It, there's no doubt about it that <laughs> that is painful. And most people are so averse to pain mm -hmm. that they're like, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go back to be comfortable. Yep. I'm going to go for you. It's like going to the gym. You know, so for some people, it's like get in my cozy blanket yep. and like eat Cheetos, whatever it Netflix is, the thing chill. that feels like the comfort, right? And so I do believe that there's this, this actual thing to develop in yourself, which is like go towards the pain yep. and do it again and again and again. And this is the part that like none of my students really like that they're like, okay, but you know, how do I get to be like you? And I'm like, just keep doing yep. it. It's like, you you've done this like what, 20 times yep. now do it that just keep doing yep. it. Never stop because there isn't like a time where it's like going to be like, and now you're done quit connecting to the universe mm -hmm. and you're going to be like, quit your rituals at your ceremonies and just, you know, Netflix and chill yep. from here on out. It's like, actually, this is, this is the new program yep. that you're going to be in. You, this is forever. And the more you do it, the more you awaken to it. And the more you connect, the more you connect. And, you know, of course, I think breath work is a really great way to do that. I think honestly, having a teacher that can help you, I don't, I mean, I, I often am trying to help people get to it on their own. But the fact is, is that my students that I work with one-on-one, -on -one, we just get there faster because yep. I can hold them yep. there. It's like, I create the energetic space. I bring you in. I create the ceremony. You come in and I hold yep. you there. And you you are uncomfortable, yep. but you're not going anywhere because you're with me. Yep. And I'm like, nope, stay here. Yep. Stay here. Stay here. We're, we're actually doing this yep. now. And then also I think, actually doing energy work, which I think is an interesting thing because, you know, I, I actually started my, my spiritual journey when I was like 12 reading the Tao of Pooh. And like, I love to talk about, you know, the spiritual approaches to things. And I think it's interesting that so much of the time, one of the huge things that's left out is like working with the intangible world to actually shift things so that you can connect more. Mm. And I think it's a really important thing for us to recognize is possible and that you may have blocks that you can't get to because you can't see them because you're in there. Yep. Right? Yep. It's yep. like, so working with somebody who can help you remove the energetic blocks 
to, you know, whatever it is. I mean, a lot of people is like, I want you to remove my energetics blocks to abundance. But sometimes people are like, I want to connect more. And then I, that's one of the most exciting to me. Yeah, I want to I want to summarize a thing you said and lean into another thing you said, because this is so beautiful, because, you know, um, in hearing you speak, it's it's so refreshing. <laughs> And it's perspective because you've said this a few times, like you said this when you were talking about habits and rituals, right? They're the practice that creates the meaning, right? And then even even in what you were just saying, you're like, no, 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 my students and clients are like this, mine don't either, right? But what it what it's taken me perspective to see is that if I look back at the last 15 years, I can find five behaviors that I've done relatively consistently that are pretty much the reasons that I'm successful. But for years, I struggled, right? Because I was, as an entrepreneur, I kept my window small, right? 30 days, 60 days, right? And then it was like sprint, crash, sprint, crash, yeah, right? Million, fail, million, fail, million, fail. Like, and it was, it was like that for like seven or eight years. And it felt like this washing machine that I couldn't get out of. And I never realized that I was just in the pill bottle and I was trying to change my behaviors from inside the pill bottle. Right. Which then yeah. led me to your next point. And I know this is something that you're very big on, which is community and leveraging and using and yeah. building community. And I think for me, I look at entrepreneurship and it, it, it walks a razor fine line. Like uh, there's a rapper I love called Brother Ali. Brother Ali, he's an albino Muslim rapper. I love this guy. And he says, he says this line, it's like riding a unicycle down a tightrope. And I think for entrepreneurship, it's a tightrope between addiction, the epidemic of addiction, and supportive. And I think the big delineating factor is community because it's so yeah. easy to isolate, right? To be behind the laptop, to like be in your office. Like I have this massive office and studio and I'm here alone. And when I get off this podcast, you have no idea what I'm doing, right? Like I can be self-loathing. I can do all of that. And I think, you know, hearing what you say, I think for me, one big reason that I struggled early on is because I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be a certain place or I carried all this shame or it has to look a certain way. And I'm sure you'll attest to this too. The more you fast forward this to life now, I like look for people to share shit with before I have stuff to share. I'm like the faster I can find somebody, the faster I can find community, like the faster I grow. And so I'd love to kind yeah. of hear your thoughts on like community because you just alluded like finding a teacher and these practices are great, but also giving yourself perspective from the outside or a different mile marker that you might not have known you could get to, you know, you get to unlock mm -hmm. when you, when you bring yourself out with these. So I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that the big part is like moving from competition yes. into community yes. because I think that so often we are like our competition, da, 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 like I'm going to be the winner. <laughs> Right. It's like, okay, except that we're all on the same team. The people that are your competition, the people that are in the same world that you're in, that are trying to do the same thing you're doing, are not, they're not your enemies. No. They're your, they're your team. Yep. And, you know, I, I was actually just watching my niece's soccer game. She's also eight. And I was watching her play soccer and like passing the ball and getting it to each other. And then, but when they score, it's not like that person is the person that scored the whole team wins. Yep. And I think that we have this very like individualistic way That's sometimes, so especially as entrepreneurs where it's like, I'm going to win. And I think that when we can change it to like, we are going to win, mm -hmm. 
we are going to win. And I really believe in what I'm doing. And so why wouldn't I believe in what I'm doing for us all to be doing this, like you doing this and you doing this. And I want you all to do well. And I want to share with you and trust that if you like, I don't know, I've had like very good friends who have used like program names that I've used and I'm kind of like, I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you're doing amazing work. I'm doing amazing work. And I think that it gets to be this like very like, well, I said that first. I'm like, actually, probably not. You know yes. what? A lot of this is like wisdom yes. teachings that none of us said yes. first. So like get over yourself but, and I'll get over myself and we'll just be on the same. My favorite was as a food blogger, this was rampant, right? And it was like, if you change one ingredient, it's inspired by... Uh, I know if you change one ingredient, you give credit to, if you change two ingredients, you say adapted by, if you change three or more, you say inspired by, if you change four or more, it's yours. And I was like, all right, listen, motherfuckers, um, a pound cake has been a pound cake for 5,000 years. So just because you add some cardamom or some cinnamon doesn't mean it's your recipe. So can we all just get off our high horse that you need to spend half your life preventing people from stealing your recipes and just go fucking make more recipes? Like... Yeah, you're like you didn't invent pound cake. No, and then and here's the crazy part. As an entrepreneur in that game, the reason I won is I started when I had to make a fake college email to get a Facebook account. Like that's when I started on Facebook as an entrepreneur, right? Like 2009. And so I was on when it was linear. So our strategy was post 60 times a day because every 20 minutes I was at the top of your feed because there was no algorithm. So we would use the same recipes over and over. And then the algorithm changed and everything broke. Nobody could get traffic. And I was like, well, this is dumb. I was like, the recipe is already on my website. Why don't I just put the whole recipe on Facebook? That way they don't have to go to my website. And then everything went bananas. Everything started getting viral and getting shared. And it was just simply because I'm like, I don't care if they steal it. They can steal my photos. I'm just going to post more recipes. I'm going viral. I'm like, yeah, maybe 10% of the people stole it. But the other 90 followed my page and they're clicking on my recipes. And it's actually one of the reasons I won. I was like, here, steal them. And then I would find people who literally had stolen my recipes. And then instead of attacking them, I'd be like, hey, I love it. I just updated it. I'll give you the new copy. How about you just give me 20% of what you sell? And then I started brokering deals with the people who stole my content. And I'm like, well, I'd rather get something out of nothing. And then, you know what I mean? And it's just like this. and, And I have a friend now who came to me in the beginning and she was writing a book, a very big book, and she needed a full set of recipes and all of her friends were published authors and food bloggers and none would give them to her. I was like, have whatever you want. She's really like, I'll give you the whole book. And I sent her like a hundred brand new recipes. She wrote the book. Well, it turns out like seven years later, she's the reason I had a career because she got me into a room because she told that story. And I'm like, oh my, right. So there's like all these moments. So I love hearing you speak like that. Cause that's kind of been the way that I've played as well is just kind of like rising tides. But I wanted to make a point too, because you made a very solid point of like, these people are not your competition. And I wanted to add, and neither are your customers because, you know, that's the premise of what I do. And, And you alluded to this when you said like, how can I help them win? And one of the big reasons people fail in business is because they ask, how can I sell this to my client instead of how can I get my, my client a result and then sell the path. Right. And I just wanted to, to make that. But the analogy that I use, and I don't know if this lands for you, but when I tell people about entrepreneurship, they're like, well, don't you hate the people that do it wrong? And I'm like, no. I was like, I look at entrepreneurship like it's a professional sports organization. We all play in the NFL, 
but we're all different teams. I will fight you on Sunday. I will attack you. I will try to win and play your games. But like at the end of the day, like the only reason I win and exist is because you do it wrong. And I have the ability to be the other team. Without you, there's no contrast. We would all do it this way. And then somebody would break it again. And there would always be that little bit of polarity. So I've always seen it like that. And I think it's the most empowering place to be. Because I also don't feel like anybody can take anything from me. Yeah, I think that feeling of like, but there's nothing, there's nothing to take, right? It's like, we are actually all connected. So there is actually no taking anyway. That's actually not even really a thing that's happening. I just got checked. And so. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Like, we're just all together. Um, Yeah, but I, I think it changes community feelings in entrepreneurship too, because I've been, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. So I've been in communities where it didn't feel like that really where it was kind of like faux community. It felt like it was more like networking, like a networking game. And that doesn't actually feel like it moves us forward. It really is like the connected community where I am like actually there to lift you up, to elevate you, to be there for you. And I am actually, and I don't see a ton of this in, um, in the entrepreneurial world is I really believe in like all gender communities. And I think that we have, I, I see that so often it's very much yep. like like the guy's room and the girl's yep. room. And then I'm like, and then when, where do we put like all of like the non-binary people? I don't even know. I'm like, it doesn't even work. These two rooms don't yep. work. They're not great rooms. Yep. And I really have a vision of seeing more like interconnected communities yep. because especially – being in a lot of the female communities, there's a lot of like, oh, that's the way guys do it. I'm like, that's the way some guys do it, but guys do it in all sorts of ways. Yep. There are wonderful men in the world. And I just would love to see more of well, that. Well, I can't so wait for you to come to our event because we are completely co-ed and that's the whole yes. point of all of it. Every yes. ounce of it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's so funny as I had that the reason I, and you and I shared a lot of the same stuff I'm assuming is like, I used to go to events and I never liked how I felt. And then my wife one day was like, well, why don't you just make one that does it differently than everything you've done and you've been to. Yeah. And that's kind of why I started creating events. And I was like, yeah, I was also like, why do I have to have a certain revenue in the room? Why can't I have everybody and teach a principal? And everyone's like, you can't. And now we've had I've never made a dollar to $3 billion a year in the same event room on a $600 ticket. And I'm like, yes, like you can, you can find common ground if you're willing to do it. And and I wanted to make a point too. And I, I, I'm glad you said this. I think in an undertone of what you talked about earlier and like the swing at bats, this, this concept of like not being romantic about who you are, both in your behaviors and your thoughts, because you're going to grow and change every day, but then also in your communities and in the people and where you're getting advice from, knowing that if you're integrating it, you're going to be growing. So like, I don't celebrate when somebody's been in my Facebook group for seven years. It kind of makes me sad a little bit. And I'm like, hey, uh, you got to go, you know, do something right. Like, you got to kind of like celebrate that growth. But when you talk about that, I think you also have to be willing to have the integrity to not put yourself in a bucket because it checks some of the boxes, but you sacrifice the rest, right? And if you want a good book recommendation on this, read the book Calling in the One by Catherine Woburn Thomas. She's a friend of mine. And apply the principles to like your communities and to your coaches to make sure that you're choosing them for the right reasons. Um, because I, I do think community is like one of the most important things, but that the caliber and the quality of that community, both on their behaviors and how they think and how they do business, 
whether you realize it or not, is going to influence you with osmosis, even if you have every intention of not. So I think being really also protective of like who you want to be and surrounding yourself with people that have the behaviors, the actions and the values of where you want to go, not necessarily like where you are or where you were. Yeah, I love that. Having an aspirational community. Yeah, see, you sell it, say it so eloquently. See, this is so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you said the whole thing. I just gave it away. I know, but see, you made it a tweetable. That makes it rememberable, <laughs> right? So like this this, like, this like, hype game is working really, really well. We should do it all day I long. Will, I will. Long. Well, I can't wait for you to come to my event because I already have an idea. So we'll cover that later. Um, but earlier too, when you were talking about, you made a good point. I've talked about it on the podcast before. Remember you're talking about we avoid pain. Right. We don't avoid it. My Brian, my buddy, Brian Bogart, who I'm going to introduce you to, um, he had his arm ripped off when he was nine and it was in a parking lot in Arizona and then it was reattached. And he has like, you know, a lot of damage, permanent pain, like his whole body. And and his his talk is about embracing pain to avoid suffering. And it is one of Mm. the most powerful talk that like summarizes it down so eloquently on like what you were speaking to. And um There's a when speaking about comfort, there's a really good book. And if you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. But I talk about it all the time. It's called The Comfort Crisis by Michael Easter. And um, it's based on the Japanese term masogi, which is like doing really hard things to kind of help find who you are or your soul's purpose, right? And, and culture, and they're celebrated, but then paired with kind of the modern world of how post industrial revolution we've created comfort, which has basically de evolved us and de-evolved our nervous system, stress management, you know, cortisol, things like that, and then pairs it together and like how to change that in daily life and activity through breath and through cold therapy and train the wedge of your autonomic nervous system. So it's a really, really cool book. Oh, I love it. Oh, I can't wait to read it. That sounds right. And then if you want the pair with it, the one that goes with it, I'm going to have him on the podcast. Scott Carney wrote the book, The Wedge. And The Wedge is the actual part of your central nervous system that you can train. So when you get triggered, it pauses instead of reacting. And he talks about the science of it. And so like those two books together are like the, the unlocked secret for being like a solid lighthouse. Oh, I love that. I really think, I mean, so much of what I end up talking about and teaching people and helping my clients with is that like, you know, what most people would probably say regulated nervous system, yep. which I think comes along with it. But I always think of it as like a regulated energetic system because yep. it, we can go beyond the nervous system into like all the energetics. And that so much of the time it is like the the non or the rawness of that energetic system that causes so much of our problems. And then we try to avoid yep. it. And so we, it's like trying to mask something again and again and again that actually really needs to be healed yep. and treated with so much love and care. Yep. And so I, I really do love helping people heal that aspect of themselves because it changes everything for yeah. us when we can actually be in our own sovereign action and not just in reaction to the world. Yeah. Yeah. 1000%. It's. Um, like, it's so funny. I, I tell everybody when I retire, I'm just going to launch a fortune cookie business and it's all my rememberable quotes from my whole life. And I'm just going to send them out as inspirational fortune cookies. I'll make them gluten-free so everybody can eat them. But I think that's what I'm going to do when I retire. There's, and then I'm going to take all your quotes from all my podcast guests and then they're going to be in there with like your name on them. And so I'm going to have like literally like 10,000 fortune cookies. Um, 
Oh, I love oh it. yeah, it's great. I think about this all the time. And then every time you say something, I'm like, oh, I got to add that one. Oh, I got to add that one. Oh, I got to add that one. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, I forgot about that one. Yep, that's a good one too. And, um, oh, I can't wait. you know, one of them that I wrote down for myself is I, I my PTSD used to represent itself in a lot of like anger and rage, but I never wanted to hurt people and I would self-harm um, because it would get so out and, and so there. And then I had one shaman summarize it for me in one tweetable. And he's like, just remember, if it's coming up, it's coming out. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, the only reason you're getting mad is because you keep trying to stuff it down. If you just let yourself cry or you let yourself yell or scream at the pillow, it would go away. And I was like, what? And it like eliminated like seven years of suffering. Right. And then one of my buddies is like, hey, have you ever heard of a rage room? And I was like, no. And he told me about one. There was one near my house. I said, here's what I want you to do. The next time you feel like that, drive straight over there. And it happened once and it never happened again. I went in that room, I, microwaves, TVs, you name it. But I was just like out. And then it just like never came back. And it was this yeah. really, really beautiful, beautiful thing. And so you talk a lot about energy, right? And you defined energy so eloquently earlier. And I love how you always challenge me. And thank you for that and bringing it deeper than the just the body to the energy, right? And so when you talk about energy, and these emotions, there's these parts that we can feel, right? Like I can feel the pit in my stomach, right? I can feel the, the weight in my chest. I can feel my sweaty palms. How would you describe energy and how can people start developing like a relationship with their energy, knowing that there are these forces and we feel them when we get that intuitive hit of like, I should text my wife or I should call this person or there's that idea. Like we know right? Like, or I'd say most of us know, or I know, but like, how does somebody even begin to develop that relationship with energy? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you're kind of talking about intuition. Okay. Maybe I'm mixing them up. See, school me, school me. I'm just a simple (laughs) man. There's three colors of crayons in my box. (laughs) You are not simple at all. That is not I feel like a podcast Um, hack and I'm like, I hope I'm asking the right question. Does this even make sense? And I'm like, I ask the most complicated questions because I give them a chapter of a book and then ask them to respond. I don't know if I'm doing this right. (laughs) You're doing great. You're doing great. (laughs) That's Um, my internal dialogue, just for the record. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Very loved. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, I would say that they're kind of different things, though they obviously there's an overlap. So our intuition is that knowing that you're talking about, like sometimes I know to just call my wife or I have a feeling that I think it means something, right? And so learning for about your intuition and learning how to listen to that like small voice inside that sounds just like your other voice. It's very complicated and kind of confusing and learning how to listen and then respond and then pay attention, right? Because often people say, I'm so intuitive. And I'm like, have you checked out in on that? Like, I know that you are thinking things and then you just think that they're true. But if you don't check to see if it's accurate, actually accurate, you have no idea if you're intuitive mm-hmm. or not. And, you know, I've had people say, I'm very intuitive. And then they tell me something. And I'm like, you're not very intuitive. Or you would know, I don't want you to tell me that, right? <laughs> like, you were incorrect about that assertion about yourself. And so <laughs> I think that actually checking is an important part of learning about your intuition to see like, is this true? Did that turn out that way? And people don't want to, they want to be like, I'm just intuitive or I'm not. And I feel like, no, it's something you built. It's just like anything else. You start to listen, you start to check. Did that, is it, was that true? Was it not? Oh, that was just indigestion. Oh, that was actually, I need to check in on my kid. Right. Like, and, but you can start to tell the difference, but you have to really be paying attention. You do. So 
there's, I actually have a whole intuition guide that, um, teaches people how to get more in touch with their intuition. It's a PDF. It's really great. I encourage they, people if they okay, want where to Where can we find this? Um, well, I can send you a link that you can, can yeah, you, if yeah, I send you a yeah. link. Yeah. We'll put it in the show them? notes okay. and then I'll give everybody, everybody, we're going to give you her Instagram. You can DM her and then we'll put the link in the show notes and then we'll have it. So if you DM me, I will send you the PDF so you don't have to do any work. Okay, great. Yeah, we will do that. So it's a really great guide to becoming more intuitive. Now, when we talk about energy, right, how can you start to feel your own energy? And I love that you said, you know, we have these emotions and that, and I think a lot of it is like getting into the sensations in your body that an emotion actually is arising from. So whether that's like the, like a fast heartbeat or like that, a chilly feeling or whatever. And then we go into that and then into that. So we don't just stop it. Like, oh, I'm having an experience of heaviness. We go into that heaviness and see what's there and notice that usually what's happening there is stagnant energy. Right. And so then we can start to move that energy. And, you know, it's sometimes it's like going backwards for me. I've been doing energy work for a long time. So yeah. I'm like, what was it like when I didn't know what energy felt uh-huh. like? But, you know, you can start to even just notice like when some when somebody walks into the room, how do you feel yep. like in their presence without them saying anything? It's like, oh, there's an energy about them. Just to start to get yourself understanding that energy is a real thing. But then there are, you know, up to advanced practices of really learning how to move your own energy through your system and healing it every day. Mm-hmm. And this is much beyond like our emotional states or even our nervous system. There's you have a whole energetic system moving through you and to manage the like little blockages and dips and gaps and things that come up is what, you know, is what I do for people, but also what people can do for themselves. But it's just a matter of training yourself to really understand it. Mm -hmm. And all of it is mostly attention, right? Can you hone your attention, which is why we meditate, Mm -hmm. right? Like, can you hone your attention so that you can hold your attention on this? Because I think that everyone could do their own energy work on themselves if they could just hone their attention enough. It's like, yes, If you can learn how to kind of pin it down and look at it and do it at the same time, Mm -hmm. you could do your own energy work. But it's hard. You know, even for myself, I'm like, oh, it's hard to hold all this. Yeah, I have a, I want to, I want to get your input or your feedback on an example at one of my events because I, I want to see if you would call this energy because I brief it every time. But before we do that, another one of my fortune cookies is I used to have that a lot, right? I'd have the energy and it would express, right? And then, you know, one of my, you know, why shamans had me reflecting. And and he was like, so basically he summarized it and he said, so anxiety is energy lacking clarity. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. I was like, cause I can think about the times where I was anxious and I found an outlet like a writing or a blank. Right. And then immediately it became a fuel source. And all the times mm-hmm. I struggled, it's cause I had it all and it, was like overwhelming my decisions, but I didn't know what outlet to use or having clarity on where it came from. And then I didn't know how to sit with that. Right. And, yeah. and that was a big part, but I wanted to ask you, cause I, I do this exercise at my event and we do this in breath work too, when we facilitate breath work, but I always tell people, I'm like, listen, we ask for sacred silence. I'm like, when we're doing like an up breath work, I'm like, when we are done, you're going to want to yell, you're going to want to scream. You're going to want to talk and chatter, but I'm going to ask you to hold that in. Your body doesn't know how to hold 
this much love and like this much light. And so I'm going to ask you to hold it for like 20 minutes and you will see it. It's like, it's trying to like leak out of their mouth and their nose and their ears, <laughs> right? Like you literally, like you can hear them speaking and they're not saying anything. Cause they're like, and I like try to like make them hold it. And I was like, this is how you increase capacity because that energy, your body's trying to leak it out. Cause you've never held that much. I'm like, but if you can just hold it and hold it and like practice holding it, then you'll like integrate it. Is that energy? Am I, am I tracking? A hundred percent. Yeah. Especially after breath work, you know, you're expand, if you can hold it, then that's how you expand your capacity to hold more energy, right? It's just like, can you build your container to hold more energy? And I think that it's a really important practice because what I see a lot is people doing breath work or they'll do like 108 sun salutations, or they'll just do all this stuff that just moves energy through them, just really blows them out, right? They're just like, and it goes like out the top of their head and then they get really disconnected and then they crash yep. and they collapse and they it's like very hard then for them to integrate in back into the world in a really useful way actually yeah. and so it is so much about both the building of energy and the cont- and when i say containing i don't mean like suppressing i mean like actually becoming like a strong container yep. for the energy to move through your system to move through your wires. And if your wires aren't any good, then you can't, then it's almost no, there's no use. For sure. Right. Like why move so much energy? It's just like, well, this is just going to be a fun like science experiment yeah. for an hour. But it's not going to do anything because you can't hold it. And I it. want to give some practical tips for people listening because I had to figure this out. But like for example, for all you people listening that do podcasts, right? When I am done with Brianna, I have a 15 minute gap where I go do breath, release kind of reground, right? So like for me, when I run my events and I'm facilitating for five days, after the event, I have a three-day block in my calendar, which means if I'm sad or emotional or energized or anything that might be mine or might not, like I have three full days to like process it and sit with it before I'm like allowed to touch the world. And so I I think practically and, and understanding what holding it means for people, like if you go do breath work, right? And and you have this incredible breath work session instead of like leaving breath work and going and jumping on the phone and, and opening Slack, like open your calendar and put two hours in and allow yourself to sit with that and and be with that energy. And so I just wanted to give some practical tips because I, I feel like I struggled for years with the how, but I didn't realize that I had all these experiences in my day already that were stretching my capacity. And the, the mm-hmm. reason I was getting so empty is because I would be up and then I wouldn't integrate. So then I would leak it all out over everybody and then I would absorb theirs and then I would just be exhausted because I was just draining the bucket. Yeah. And like I was the guy, right? Like I would do 12 podcasts in a row, right? Like I would do, you know, I would record an entire audio video course in a day and I started to realize that like I can't run Olympic medal races every single day. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting, but just for everybody listening, like finding those pockets or finding those moments, like maybe you go to the gym every morning before you drive to the office. Well, maybe when you have that 30 minute drive after your workout, instead of doing anything, just drive in silence and reflect, right? Think about your workout or where your body's feeling, right? Like create these moments where you allow the integration to happen would be my tip. Yeah. I love what you, and I love the word reflect too, because what, how I imagine is actually, if you can imagine like building almost like mirrors around yourself and the energy that wants to leak out, you're actually making it go back in, actually kind of soaking yourself back in that energy and letting that happen for a while so that it isn't going out because it wants to go out. But if you make like a house of mirrors around you, so it just kind of comes back in, soaks back in, that definitely helps integrate things and also 
makes your capacity grow. Yeah, and and this is something I've seen too. Like I, I can see it now because like I, I can think of moments six years ago where like my team member would have a personal win in their life and they would be celebrating and I couldn't even match their level of celebration, right? Like it almost, I felt guilty because I wasn't like as excited and I never like practiced it. And so like in breath work or like even like coaching sometimes, you're doing an event with 10 people and you're doing like a somatic breath release. They're like, every wound, every story. And like, I feel it in me in the front of the room. And I'm like, I'm just going to have to let myself cry because the more I feel it, the easier it gets to like be in that experience and to be like fully and invested. But it's no different than breathwork. I remember I was like, you know, when I was starting breathwork, I'd be like five minutes into breathwork, right? And I'm like floating on Mars. I'm like, this is great. And then I, you know, I forget that titration line. I'm like, oh, you build a tolerance. Oh, I have to deepen my practice. Oh, I don't get the five minute hit anymore. Like I got to be really committed to this. Right. And, and you just learn, but all of those moments of capacity is like just testing them everywhere, your workouts and your breath yeah. and your, your stillness, right? Like I'm bullish on a stillness practice. Every one of my one-on-one clients, I require them to have a boredom practice every day. And the goal is an hour a day of just sitting and being like out the window, no notepad, no music, no nothing. But I'm like, just start with five minutes, right? Like just five minutes a day, like, three minutes in the morning, like four in the afternoon, and just give yourself the ability to like try integrating these practices, I think is the most powerful part. Yeah, that's beautiful. I don't know. You just inspire me. I just hear you speak. I'm like, oh my God, I want to do this. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that, 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 that. And you speak so eloquently. It's like, you're a master. I'm just like taking internal notes over here. So <laughs> with that and energy, I would love to hear. So like for me, like I have some practices that I love. Like I have a grounding practice. Like I love walking barefoot outside. It's like how I beat jet lag. It's like what I do when I wake up in the morning. I have a red light. So if I wake up and it's dark out, I get the closest thing to like vitamin D to like try to like, you know, help me get grounded and start a day. But like what are some of your like favorite like environmental design or behavior like energy hacks or things that people can use to kind of help? garner their energy, protect their energy, establish a relationship with like, what are some of your favorite things? Yeah. Well, one of my big things is I'm really like one of my values is beauty. I wow. love beautiful spaces and I love to create beauty in my life and like indoors, outdoors, love in it. events, like it's my favorite yes. thing. But also I think that to recognize that our environment has such an impact on us and so like making sure that things are, these are like so simple, but like decluttering things and making your world beautiful actually does help increase your vibration. And so it's a really simple one. And then I would say things like making sure that the, you know, before we get on our phone, before we do any of those things that we move directly into connection, mm -hmm. like connection and then intention and allowing ourselves to then move our bodies from that place. And I am like such a somatic person and like actually then sometimes just like listen to your body, right? So we're not just like, I'm not really talking about exercise yeah. in this case, though it can feel kind of like exercise depending <laughs> on what your body yes, desires yes. in that moment. It's like, can you actually just turn internally and listen? And when your body like wants to lean, do you, can you lean? Can you move around just the littlest bit to the biggest bit to rolling on the floor, to jumping up and down and actually just let your body be the one in charge. Yeah. Like I'm just listening. I'm just following for this moment. And I'm allowing like any tangles to get untangled so that I can start my day really fresh yeah. and clear. 
Um, and then there's really like energetic practices I do, like the microcosmic orbit, um, which is like, you know, I do the microcosmic orbit and several other energy practices, but that one feels like the thing that I would have most people start with okay. is actually doing a microcosmic orbit practice for five minutes at, you know, to start every day okay. just to feel the energy. So this is a practice of, you know, feeling the, you start, you know, at your root okay. and you feel the energy coming up through the back of your spine, over the top of your head and then down. And then you have your tongue behind the, your top of her teeth mm -hmm. and then you exhale and you have it, feel it go down, down your neck, down the front of your body, all the way down until it connects at that root point. And then lifting, inhale up and exhale down. And what most people find is that there's places in here where there's like little skips yep. and you'll be like, oh, what happened to my attention? Like that's often what people think. Like I just stopped paying attention for a second there or something happened, but that's, oh, that's a place where energy is not being fully connected. Yeah. And it's, it's so, first of all, normal. You're not broken. You're not like missing one of your chakras, right? And like nothing awful is going to happen. So in case you were worried, like it's okay. You'll, you're going to be okay. But you, you do want to go into that place with your attention. Like, okay, what is right here? And just use your breath mm. and kind of like get into that place and see if there's movement that can be made, even if it's a little bit, and then go back to the whole circuit again and then go into any of those places where there's bumps or gaps or dips um i experience it usually as like a gap yeah but I, you can then start to i love that i love that description actually that's the best way i've ever heard that lack of attention be described as like what it actually is in like the empowering positive meaning of like no there's a reason right whether consciously subconsciously like and then leaning into that. I love that. And you know, what's funny is that I want to attest to what you just talked about, you know, with the, um, the expressive movement of being in your body. Um, I was at a John Wineland event in Mount Shasta and, uh, there were 88 men in Mount Shasta. We were doing a seven day men's intensive, uh, and halfway through we did a, a feminine embodiment practice. And all it really was, was a woman leading the practice through breath with music and just inviting, like, do you feel something? Okay. Do whatever it says. Like she told us to do nothing, nothing. But I looked around the room, right? And like, I'm up, I'm moving, I'm doing, there's dudes twerking, there's dudes static dancing, there's dudes, you know, rolling on the floor. I'm over here, like, I don't even know what my body's doing, right? Because I'm just like listening. But it was one of the most, I can remember that that was the first time I've ever felt fully connected to my body when I wasn't in pain. Like, it was one of my first, like, pleasure or conscious memories of like, fully knowing my body and like being okay with it when it wasn't like, Oh, I'm about to lose my life for this traumatic event happened. And so I just wanted to give some weight and credence to what you, what you shared, because I never realized how even on the regular, I was disconnected from the physical vessel that I was operating and pretending to know how to drive it. Right. Yeah. And you know, like my EMDR yeah. teacher, when I used to do EMDR, when I was really deep, would get off a, on a deep tangent in a wound, he would always just have me look at my palm. And then I would end up like studying my palm for like an hour. I'm like, I never saw this. I never saw this. I never noticed this. And it was like such this mm -hmm. presencing practice to kind of like bring me back to like myself. So I just wanted to give weight to that. I love that. And those practices sound incredible. Yeah. So good. All right. And I'm so glad you were at a John Wineland thing. That's so funny. Oh yeah, he I love John. He just had an event in our space. He was so great. Oh, what did he? And then yours, where are your spaces? 
Well, our, we have our spas, one in Portland, one in Boulder, but then we have an event space on our land in Boulder. Oh, how many people can hold? Uh, like up to 40. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll connect via text after this on that one too. And then what's the, okay, what's the name of your places in Portland and Boulder? The Dragon Tree. The Dragon Tree. Okay. I love it. I'm mm-hmm. going to have to, uh, I will plan a trip to Denver and drive in. I'll get some pork belly bar taco and come visit you. I'll get the, Sounds I'll come great. get the full experience. I'm like, give me the nine. I want the energy. I want the movement. I want the Manny Petty. Give me the salt bath. I'll take all of it. Like whatever. All yeah. I'll take, so I'll good. take the VIP treatment. So I'm actually, I'm, I haven't asked this question in a while, but we're getting close to landing the show. So before we do that, um, everybody, I want to remind you. So we have that PDF um, that we'll be sending out. We'll put it in the show notes. So it'll be in the show notes. And then you can DM me on Instagram, which you should know if you're listening to this, but it's, it's George Bryant. Um, and you can just say Brianna's PDF and the team will send it to you. Or you can get a hold of Brianna on Instagram. Brianna, can you give me your Instagram, please? Yeah, it's Brianna Borton. It's so easy. Brianna Borton. So B-R-I-A-N-A-B-O-R-T-E-N or O-N? Yep. E-N. E-N. Brianna Borton. B-O-R-T-E-N. I love it. Okay. This was like one of my favorite questions somebody ever asked me on a podcast. So I reserve it for like special guests because I love hearing their answers. So here's the question. If you could combine two animals to be your spirit animal, what would they be and why did you choose them? Oh, that's very easy. I would choose polar bear and a unicorn. Oh my God. I love it. And why? Well, polar bear really is my spirit animal. We're very, very close and uh, like constant companions. He like, like, like I pay polar bears on my payroll. Like I actually pay polar bear international every month uh, because polar bear like is so much a part of my programs and supportive. So polar bear for sure. Um, And then unicorns, because I feel like I, my whole life, I like when people would ask me when I was little, like, what do you want? I'd always just say, I just want a magic wand so I can grant other people's wishes. And I've always imagined unicorns as like wish giving creatures, like that their horn was like wish giving. And so if I could be both those things, if I could help people like have all their wishes and then like as a polar bear, like love and protect them, that would be my dream. I love it. I love it. See, here's the funny part about polar bears. I have two polar bear visions in my brain. I have the, I live in Montana where all I hear, if it's black, fight back, brown, lay down, white, good night. That's polar bear version one. And then I have my (laughs) entire childhood of polar bears snuggling with cubs with Coca-Cola. And I prefer the fluffy version. And I swear to God, I would, I would snuggle a tranquilized one, but since they're the only bears that hunt humans i have a very healthy respect for you now and i now know how i'm going to support you for the rest of our life together so whatever that looks like got it okay. i am crystal clear i know who i'm calling i'm like hey i have a challenge right now and i need you to go hunt some people i, I need that i've got polar it, bear totem put you. me in the family circle i love i love that answer uh, that is that is officially the first polar bear and the first unicorn and was the, wow. Yeah. I've heard some interesting ones. Mine, the one I answered was a bald eagle and an orca whale. Ooh. Yeah. And I, uh, why? No, I yeah. Have I, know. um, the bald eagle. So my spirit animal, uh, I was reborn on an ego death on ayahuasca as a, as a, and my spirit animal, I was reborn as a baby black jaguar. Not a big one, very intentionally as a baby. <laughs> 
And so, um, but like, I always have like these, these things. And obviously, you know, I live in Montana, so I see bald eagles like all day, every day. And I've always been obsessed. I think they're the most beautiful things like majestic and, and royal and boom, but they're also wise and they have the ability to see so far and, you know, make decisions. Like I was like in that. And then I was thinking about the orca and like the family unit, how they all operate boom and they're so protective and compassionate in the ocean but yet they will also fight to the death to defend and they will take out you know predators and so i was just like looking at both and you watch like a bald eagle when they build their nest they never leave like when they build their foundation they don't leave they'll end up with nests that are 38 feet deep because they've been there for 20 seasons and so they're deep rooted in like values and family and so that's why i picked those two yeah like you never want to leave montana yeah like that (laughs) Like that. And like, and like, but when you're in my home, like when you're in my family, like I will die for you. Like you, like when you become in my friend circle, like you are in my fighting hole, like I will give my life for any single person I consider a friend. Like I, I mean that. And so like, that's why I picked those, those ones. And I think orcas are fucking cute. I think we've got very similar attributes in that. Oh, we do. Our stories are phenomenally synchronistic. Like the parallels and the, like it's, I could talk to you for like 12 hours about this. It's insane. And then I also loved Free Willy, and I always wanted a pet orca to like jump over my hand over a brick wall, um, you know, because I thought that was possible in 1994. Um, yeah, reasonable. Yeah, re- completely reasonable. But the most beautiful thing about your eight year old is the 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 curiosity and the creativity of like, well, what if you could live this other life? And like what I was going to say earlier, and I think this is where I'll summarize. Like, I think for me, and and if I had to summarize 25 years of therapy and the amount of seven figures and stuff I've invested in it, if you ask me like one key component, number one would be to look at it like a child child with curiosity and joy and everything gets really easy. And I look at my six-year-old yeah. and I, I literally learn from him all day, every day. Like I watch this kid ride a roller coaster of emotions and he doesn't even care what the ride was like. He just straps in for tomorrow again. And I'm like, God, yeah. there's like so much value in like having a kid and paying attention and integrating those lessons. Cause it's, it's, it's humbling. It's very humbling. Yeah. Yeah. The play and to remember that play is actually the language of the universe. It is. That is, we just forget. I, I, Brianna, I gotta tell you, I am giddy. Like this filled my bucket. I, I enjoyed this conversation immensely. Me too. It was so fun. Thank you for having oh me. Oh my God. We'll have to do this again. I'll come visit Boulder. We'll go get some pork belly tacos and, you know, do the spa experience. We'll figure, we'll figure out a way. I'm sure there's much magic. I have a list in my phone already, by the way, of like introductions I need to make. I'm like, oh, she's got to know them. She's got to go on their podcast. So like, I'm, I'm ready. We got to get this. Oh, great. We got to get this Brianna magic wait. into the world some more. So I, uh, I, I appreciate you being here so much and, um, you know, I'm going to leave you with one final question because I'm excited. So I just want you to envision that everybody listening to the podcast forgot absolutely everything that we talked about, but they picked up from this moment. And right now you have the ability to tattoo some wisdom on their soul that they'll take with them forever. What would your tattoo wisdom Mm. be? Hmm. The, like love is actually the solution. Mm. Yep. See, fortune cookies. I'm here for it. I'll do that's long. A, fortune that's cookies. a Brianna Borton original. Love is actually the solution. Quote, Brianna Borton, 2023. This is going to be idolized forever. It will live on past me. Like with this fortune cookie business, we'll make it. I can't we'll make it. Yeah, I love it. Well, well, listen, it was an honor. I will be doing this again, I'm sure. It was a pleasure. For everybody listening, here's a reminder. Take one thing. And put it into practice and integrate today because shelf help will get you nowhere. And so make sure you connect with us on the socials. 
Find Brianna on Instagram, send her DM, any words of inspiration, any takeaways. I'm sure she would love to hear it. If you're in Boulder or Portland, go check out her spa. And if not, plan a trip. I'll just go and make a future claim that it's worth trippable. So make a trip and go experience that magic. And then, of course, if you want the guide that she referenced, send us a DM that says Brianna's Guide. It'll be in the show notes. It'll also, you can get a hold of her as well. So that is all I have. So remember that relationships will always beat algorithms, especially the one with yourself. So you'll either see me in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. But either way, here's the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.